Hello, and welcome back to the Rat's Nest Podcast. Today is a very special episode. I got to talk to Graham at Sonocurrent. This is the first time interviewing a module manufacturer. So there's a little chat with Graham and a little bit of a demo with some of his modules. He he was kind enough to set up his demo case while I was there. And we got to play around. You'll hear he's got some interesting things in the case, like an IntelliGel uh, Quadrax, two black wavetable VCOs, two Uranalog, uh, they're through zero FM VCOs, I think. And then he had a Uranalog Filter 8. You know, he had his MC3, he had two MC3As, uh, the MT2D distortion, and then he had his uh, quad group fader distributor. So yeah, he had some cool stuff in the case. Some stuff I had never seen before. And of course, I'm familiar with the Black Wave Table VCOs, but he had two of them, so that was awesome. Graham was very nice, and I think we had an interesting chat. Demo's a little bit short, but he was kind enough to send me home with a crossfade array and a dual triode distortion. So expect those to be featured in some upcoming patches. Enjoy the chat. I guess just do. Do you have like a an intro or an about your you and your company that you want to start off with? Um, it's funny because now that you mention it, I should have a standard intro, <laughs> but I don't. So uh, we'll be casual. Yeah, that's um, fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell us. Started in well, the first module came out in 2019. Started working on 2018. So about three years into this now. Cool. Long-time musician and synth, I don't know if enthusiast is the best word, hobbyist, whatever. Um, the kind of person who makes patches all day and then doesn't actually make any songs. Spent quite a few years doing that. So at um, some point decided to make modules. Originally, I was thinking I might just do it for myself. But as soon as you start looking at manufacturing things, you start to realize, well, if you're going to make one, you should make more right might as well make more <laughs> yeah um there's not a whole lot of point in just making like two of something and so like i said about three years ago i started and first module was the tube distortion that came out in uh, 2019 at super Roof. and then uh a little bit of a slowdown last year with everything going on right yeah um, covid had things i thought were going to come out last year and didn't partly because of COVID, partly because I just, you know, in growing something from scratch, there's some, there are things you realize you can be doing better. And you're like, okay, well, 
I don't want to release something and then like release Mark II of it next year. So right. yeah, it's uh, let's just backtrack a little bit, fix that, tweak that, move on and release it when it's ready. Especially when the whole coronavirus business happened, it wasn't. It was an impediment, but in some ways it was also like, well, while everything is jammed up, now's the time to also put some other things in place. Right. Kind of a blessing in disguise a little bit. In a way. Yeah. yeah it's like, okay, the big trade shows aren't happening, so there's that pressure is taken off. That I'm not thinking, oh, well, I really need to release this thing next month. Right. So um, bringing these up to now, it's I now have three new modules that, well, two and a half because one's an expander. A macro controller and group fader that has an expander which adds mutes and offsets to the channels, and then the crossfade array that few people have out now. That been a few demos and so forth trickling out. Yes, um, I am embarrassingly slow at doing my own demos, but they are in the works. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool to have other artists do demos because then you get to see different perspectives on how to use the same. Thing. Yes. And that, to me, is something that's both practical but also philosophical. Is like the real interest in building these things is often seeing what someone else does with it, as opposed to just like, okay, well, I made that thing I always wanted, and I'm doing that thing I thought I would do with it. <laughs> right. Um, and then you hand it to someone else and just go, oh, okay, do that. <laughs> Fine. Um, that's better maybe than what I was figuring everyone would do with it. Um, the first thing being a distortion, I mean, you do see that to some degree. It's funny because talking to some people about distortion, it's like everyone just has a very monolithic distortion is distortion. It's like, well, no, it's not. Yeah. It's, there's all kinds of flavors and degrees and where you place it in a patch. I had someone ask me once, like, well, why not just run through a guitar pedal? I was like, well, what if you want it somewhere other than the end of your chain? What if you want CV control of it? Right. There are plenty of reasons, but I'm especially curious to see where this crossfader will go because on one paper, it's a crossfader. Right. Well, it's three crossfaders in one module, but it's still just crossfading. But on the other hand, when you start thinking about what a building block of a crossfader really is, it's like, okay, well, it's wet-dry for effects. It's feedback loops. It's um, the mixer between your sound sources and your filters it, it, it's so i'm very curious to see where some someone else would go with it because right. i know how i would use it but you can also use it for cb yes and it's fully dc coupled so you can kind of go anywhere with it in terms of making complex modulations from periodic sources which is what i usually end up doing is like using four sine waves and sometimes using feedback with fewer sine waves to shape the sine waves, but then making, they're not exactly pseudo-random because it's still a periodic waveform, but it's a very complicated periodic waveform. Right. It, it becomes easy to make with that module, but it's very difficult to describe in some other way. But on the other hand, I'm curious to see someone, I'll eventually put envelopes through it, but someone's going to be like, I want to put envelopes through it. It was not designed with keeping, you know, volt per octave calibration right. in mind. It's not, it's not a precision adder. Right. It's not a precision adder, but it would still be interesting to see if someone decides to like put sequences through it for um, maybe for controlling something other than notes. Yeah. You know, some kind of other parameter sequence. You could quantize it afterwards. That too. Yeah. I'm sure some people will just use it to crossfade between voices or drum tracks or whatever, and that's fine also. But yeah. it's uh, 
maybe that's where the philosophy comes from, is kind of thinking to basic building blocks. Gotcha. But it's like, okay, what is that? But what does it really mean? And what else can you do with it? But yeah, I love seeing what other people do with it. It's fun to trade shows too. If the first super booth I did that when I only had the distortion going. Mm-hmm. So quite a bit of other people's stuff in the rack, of course. Right. I went away to use the lavatory and I came back and someone had made like the most amazing patch ever. And it's like, okay, that is the demo patch for the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> thank you. Right. Did <laughs> thank you, you have to pay him? <laughs> yeah, I did find out who it was eventually. I, I was like, oh, thanks for that patch, by the way. That was because mine was getting a little old, probably. It was right. like day three, maybe, or day two. And I'd been doing the same drone for you know two days. Right. Yeah. You eventually get a little tired of it. And I'm um, sure. Well, I have the problem where I don't get tired of drones as quickly as other people. Right. So it probably <laughs> helps if someone else comes by and is like, let's spice it up. <laughs> yeah, let's make a little serving suggestion here. And hopefully, some of the upcoming demos will kind of open up even further of things that haven't popped in my head yet of how people approach it. Yeah. One artist who's got one told me he was using it almost as like, um, like a low pass gate. He was triggering. Uh, the crossfades with envelopes okay. and using complex oscillators. So it was like the, the complex output down to the fundamental output okay. as an alternative to a low pass gate or a filter. Yeah. And I was like, I kind of thought of that, but not exactly in the way he did it. Right. And it's like, there's another thing when you start thinking about fundamental blocks of like, what if we change the timbre of something? What if we change the spectrum of something, but we don't use a filter. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Plus the other thing I, We'll do a dedicated demo of, but it makes some really cool AM stuff. Nice. If you feed it with audio rate modulation. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably where I would start with it. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the earlier things I was doing with it. And I was okay. like, well, I better like maybe test more with things most people will do. Right. But it's um, being able to like use simple waveforms from four different sources and pick what harmonics you want to emphasize and then go in with up to three modulators you could build I mean, the only bad thing is it does like if you're not careful you can make just like this gross noise very quickly and right it's like if it very quickly becomes noise <laughs> right and it's like okay well i just you know i now have an 18 hp white noise generator um okay <laughs> but i need a bunch of other stuff to get into it right <laughs> it's like you know we have half a row of a uh, case making you know noise but uh Sometimes modular is not efficient, but it sure is fun. Right. Yes. Absolutely. So talk about the tubes distortion. I'm interested in that okay. a little bit more. Um, uses the new tube. The new tube. What is was a very ignorant time. Came out by, it was developed by Korg and uh, Noritaka, and it's okay. based on vacuum fluorescent display technology. Uh, and so it's... So there's no big vacuum tube that what is a f- vacuum tube but, but not in the way that we think it's of, miniaturized like, yeah okay. and it's uh, it's actually like a funny little flat rectangular package on the board interesting but it is a glass vacuum tube it's wow. just a flat little it's rectangle tiny. and it's um similar to like if you remember those um that sort of sickly green color that you think of on like, you know, VCRs from the early eighties, like those sorts of displays, like that's what's going on in there. And it effectively is a dual triode. Okay. But it's uh, current and voltage requirements are quite low. 
So there are other people certainly who have put more traditional vacuum tubes in modules, and some of them are either using some kind of step up to get the right voltage, or they're just running it way below yeah. the specs. Yeah, and I, um, I built a safety valve tube distortion DIY thing, and it's just running at the twelve. Right. You know, it's just super voltage shocked, which sounds pretty cool, honestly. Uh, but yeah, that's. I had no idea that was a thing. Tiny little vacuum. Yeah. So the voltage, you know, on the spec sheet, the voltage range for the supply is, uh, I think, 5 to 24, if I remember wow. correctly. So nowhere near what a lot of older yeah. tubes would <laughs> Like hundreds of volts. Right, yeah. There's no 300-volt supply <laughs> hiding in there. Um, Which is convenient. <laughs> yeah. And the current draw is also quite low then. So it fits very neatly within... Euro rack power, so you're That's not awesome. really starving it. There's a bit of inrush current still, but it's nothing like other tubes. Like the max that I think I've ever measured off of one of those modules is about 200 milliamps okay. on the positive bus, so it's not extreme, right? Because yeah. I know some of the other tube things out there, you know, take close to like an amp on yeah. startup. Um, yeah. Now that being said, I did put a switch on it so that you could cut the voltage to uh i didn't go all the way down to five but take it down to six volts so okay so it supplies either the tw the standard 12 that's just from the power bus in your rack or cut it to six okay if you want to cool. starve it a little bit and get a little more hiss and crunch and it's almost more of a fuzz type distortion at that point okay and cool. it's cleaner at the 12 right i toyed around with whether i should have like a 24 option and take it up to the max yeah. but it, I don't think that would have really been that meaningful above what the 12 can do. So right. it's a case of where sometimes you have to not put an option in for the yeah. sake of clarity. There's definitely a lot of decision-making, I imagine. Yes. Can you speak about maybe one of the toughest decisions, design decisions you've had to make? Hmm. I guess that was one example. If you have any that one, one honestly wasn't that tough. Okay. Well, one of the other things with that module, and I should mention whenever I mention the design of the uh, tube distortion, that uh, I got considerable help from Eric Schlappi, Schlappi Engineering, on that module. Yes. I wanted to see, have CV control of the tube bias, but I thought that would be really complicated because I was still learning a lot of the background technical stuff coming at it from a musician and artist's point of view. and knowing just enough of the technical stuff to know that I should have someone helping me. Um, and then one day he suggested that and was like, you know, it would be real easy to like have CV control the bias. I'm like, would it now? Because I didn't ask because I figured that would be hard, like really hard. And yeah. he's like, nope, not at all. I was like, okay, yes, yeah, so let's do it. So that's another one that like, sometimes you talk yourself out of something that you shouldn't have. Right. And then it's nice to have someone be like, no, do that. Yeah, Eric, save the day. <laughs> yes. So that feature like was something I thought of and dismissed, but then realized, oh, no, we can have that. That's always and nice, yeah. Also, it's, there's an affirmation there because it's like, oh, someone else would use that. That's maybe where things get tricky is when you have something that you really like, but then you have to ask yourself how many other people would really do that. Right. And that's maybe part of the original, like, should this module even exist? internal conversation right yeah so i'm sure i want this but am i the only person on the planet who would actually use it you know right. if it passes that test then it then you get into the smaller decisions of okay well how do we you know for the tube distortion what's what's the plate voltage okay well let's have two 
that's probably enough. Like in the testing, I think having anything between the six and the twelve would have not been meaningful. Mm. Like it would have been so subtle that in the context of a synth patch, it would not have been right. meaningful really. Um makes sense. You can get enough crunch out of the twelve volt that overlaps with the lower settings of the six that you, you, there's no reason to say put like a nine volt or you know right yeah superfluous i put a lot of effort into the ui and the physical ergonomics and the visual aspect of the panel i want it to be something that becomes second nature to the artist so after you spend a short amount of time with it like you just can feel with it where everything is on the panel and things should hopefully feel like they're in the right place relative to signal flow and workflow. Okay, well, what's the first thing I want to adjust on that module? Right. It's probably near the top. But it might be a small knob that you set once when you're setting up your patch, and then you probably don't come back to it much. So that's fine. Bigger knobs go to primary things that you're going to tweak in performance. Right. Um, that kind of idea. And so I also have done, I'd say, a fair bit in the beginning of testing with people on, like, either prototype modules or mock-ups of modules that haven't actually been really prototyped yet, but it's like a faceplate with knobs on it that is like, if I were to make this module, it might look something like this, subject to whether the circuit actually would be that. That's interesting because there's always some outlier who's like, I don't like where that is. <laughs> it's like, I don't like where that control is. And then you have, so that can be tricky too. Right. You have to sit there and think, okay, well, is that really an outlier? Or were the other three people who liked it the outliers? And is it, yeah, is it just you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so that's, that can get into second guessing, but I haven't had too much of that. Right. I'd say the hard thing is taking out features. Because personally, I would love to have something that has every feature you could imagine on it. Right even if you don't need it somehow it's reassuring that it's there <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, that leads to a crowded yes panel, or sure. big panels yeah right that too yeah. which i'm not i'd yeah. rather have a large panel than a crowded panel yeah i think i would agree it's just your rack's all about that miniaturization right. sometimes which is yeah it definitely comes at the expense of performability Right. And I see people with these systems that are like all under 4 HP for each module. And it's not my cup of tea, but it is kind of interesting that, you know, someone gets a full performance set up out of like a 60 HP, you know, yeah. little skiff that it's like, okay, that is impressive because that's just not the way my brain always works. Yeah. And, um, like these modular at the mall events, I've seen some of the cases that are like much smaller than what I would use. And, yeah. it, and it's like, that's an entire 20 to 30 minute performance in that case. It's worth, it's worth remembering that yeah. you don't have to have the wall of wall of sense. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't need to be a spaceship. <laughs> right. For me, the spaceship's oddly comforting, but yeah, <laughs> it's just the way I think there's something about ignoring that knob that somehow feels important. As opposed to that knob was never there because you don't touch it. <laughs> so gotcha. maybe that's getting back to the like, what are just difficult design decisions? That might be the thing is how to not overcomplicate something. And then that gets into a judgment of, well, how do other people think? Right. What is overcomplicated to right. you may not be to someone else. Or... Right. And some things that aren't overcomplicated to me, I tell someone else and I can 
quickly start to see oh, their eyes glaze over. Yeah, you start to see the glassy eyes, and you're like, oh, um, yeah, uh, just you know, do what you want with it. <laughs> yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were a graphic designer initially, like in uh, way back in undergraduate, I got a de- uh, degree in graphic design. Yes. Okay. This was pre World Wide Web, so. Right. Only by a little bit, mind you. But um, so yeah, I trained as a print designer. Okay. And um, has that helped in any way in design? Probably. You think? It's um, it's probably ingrained in me. It's funny because at some point, as a graphic designer, I found out that this thing called industrial design existed that no one had told me about. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. Yeah, you have that moment where you're like, oh. If I'd known this when I was 17 or 18, then I might have asked more questions about it. And yeah. So I'm somewhere between, a, you know, the industrial designer who never was and, you know. Now kind of is. Yeah, and almost is by default. And, you know, on a commercial scale, a not terribly successful graphic designer. But, you know, on the other hand, it's like, well, I kind of got away from music for a while in the late 90s mm. because I thought, well, I should focus on design and visual art and photography and things I was doing at the time. And um, I now say to anyone, is, oh, don't do that. Never stop doing something. I, I think focus is overrated sometimes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because doing the other thing is what lends the focus to the first thing. Right. And for me at least, like trying to do only visual work is like when you stare at something so long you can no longer see the mistakes in it yeah it's that problem whereas when i would you know be working on visual art or graphic design and then go noodle around with sense in my spare time it sort of cleans the mind and yeah. you come back to the other things fresh having used different senses and different thinking different workflow yeah that makes a lot of sense so i spent some years not really doing much with music at all and then at some point came to realize that that was completely counterproductive. (laughs) So in that regard, when I say, well, you know, on the one level, I'm a former graphic designer. Well, it's also like, is that actually a problem? No. And yeah, I think it still trickles through into the, into the design of these modules. Cause when I tell people that they're like, Oh, of course. Yeah. They are very like, (laughs) they're just very pretty and they're, they look you know, well thought out and solid. And I like the color too. It's not a color I usually see on modules. I feel like it's like a, like a slate. Yeah. Kind of blue. Like, I don't know. I like the color too. Well, there's, there's actually some, probably too many amusing anecdotes about the color, but the short version (laughs) is, um, I initially kind of wanted to go for like the vintage lab equipment look. Okay. It's fairly obvious route to go, I guess. But right. at the same time, I, it, vintage lab equipment looks right for a reason because it just looks good, but it also is functional. Mm-hmm. It's like just the right amount of contrast to read. Everything's clear. So um, at one point, I was even thinking of getting them like powder coated, like a gunmetal gray with like a hammer tone finish. And I was like, okay, that's a bit over the top. The other thing is, turns out that would be super expensive. Right. Yeah. Cost is something yeah, you have to consider. I was like, well, how, how badly does everyone else want that? 
I might be the only one. Right. <laughs> um, because we're going to have, you know, front panels that are like, you know, $20 or $30 a piece in manufacturing. <laughs> that's before we put anything on it or have any circuitry behind it. Right. <laughs> and that's not terribly sensible. So I like the gray, though, just because obviously black and aluminum dominate the scene. Yes. And I thought, well, gray goes well. It looks good on its own. Someday when there's a complete sonic current system possible, it will look good. But until that day happens, I want it to look good next to black and silver. And I thought, well, like a dark gray just kind of fits everywhere. Then it became an entire issue of finding the right gray, finding someone who could manufacture it. Anodizing is not always consistent. So it's like, well, will this be the same gray next year? Maybe not. And um, so the first module was actually digitally printed and then anodized clear over. Okay. And um, that was a neat process. And when it came time to do the new modules, the manufacturer told me that the machine they used to do that had broken. And they were unable to get parts for it because of the coronavirus situation. And so they eventually then ordered a new machine, but then like Europe locked down, so they couldn't get it delivered. And then like the beginning of this year, they finally got it delivered, but there was a problem. But the technicians couldn't come to solve the problem because they still didn't travel. Like the lockdowns were lifted within the countries, but there was no inter-country just one thing after another. Travel possible. And so it was so by the summer we were getting to a point where I'm like, okay, I need to get some faceplates real soon. It's handy that Superbooth got moved to September instead of May. And because I was still trying to solve this in June. And uh, it was basically they were kind of like, Well, once we can get the new machine up and running, it should be fine. But there's another way we might do it, which is to print the graphics and then anodize the gray over that. So that's why there's a somewhat regrettable difference in the gray between the first module and the new ones, because the machine that made the first one doesn't exist anymore. Right. And no one else could match the process. And the funny thing, though, is I actually, if anything, prefer the new gray. It's, it's a little more neutral and it's a little more like I originally envisioned, actually which is funny. So that's the new gray and it will be staying that way. So the first module is a little bit of an outlier. It happens. If it were slightly different, I'd say that that denotes that it's a tube module, but that's not actually true. (laughs) (laughs) But that was, I guess, part of the graphic consideration too, is what looks good in a case with lots of modules that I can't possibly know ahead of time. Right. Yeah. And if you go with either black or aluminum, it's just, you want to stand out a little bit too, I think. Right. And that it stands out without standing out. Yes. Like it's distinctive without being garish or. Right. You know. No, like rainbow or right. like over the top kind of. I don't know. I mean, some modules are certainly very over the top and very cool. You do also. It's hard to like, yeah, know what else is going to be in the case. Right. Actually, which loops around to your earlier question of like, what are the hard design decisions? That may be just one of the overarching like hard design decisions is both aesthetically and functionally, you're always designing something in a context you cannot possibly know. Right, yeah. 
someone will buy this and do something with it, but I have no idea what they're going to patch into it. I have no idea what they're going to put next to it. Um, well, you know, some range, but the specifics are always a mystery. Right. So that's what's interesting, perhaps, is, and that's, I think, why the gray works. It just fits almost everything. And I've had so far one person ask me for black panels because they just couldn't abide having a not fully black system. And I was like, you can make your own. (laughs) I won't say I'll never make black panels, but I don't make black panels. (laughs) Right, yeah. Enough people start asking, I'm sure. (laughs) I think if enough people asked, I might offer it as like a replacement option. Yeah, just kind of like Chaos Devices stuff. does, where yeah. it's like, okay, there's a standard, but if you really have to change out the panel, we'll give you a panel, and it's not that hard to do. Um, then someone will be like, you know, it's that like color panels. <laughs> Again, getting back to manufacturing things in modest quantities, and yeah. there's only so much customization you can really run with. So we're listening to a lovely drone that Graham has patched up. Would you like to explain um, what's going on? This is relatively simple in the sense that any four VCO, yeah, just simple. Um, have two wavetable VCOs and two analog uh, oscillators feeding one of the MC3A crossfade arrays. Trying to remember exactly what tuning I put in this a couple days ago, but there's definitely an octave, and I think I think there's two octaves and a fifth. Actually, now that I think about, it, I think it's a root, a fifth, an octave, and then a fifth above the higher octave. This what I tuned the four BCOs to, and so there are LFOs sweeping the crossfades between those different harmonics, and then the modulation is chained out to be changing the spectral content of the oscillators in the first place so it's not always coming back to the same damper when it comes back to that oscillator and then it's going through a fairly light bit of distortion from the mt2d module only one stage of that and then just a little bit of a three-hole filter resonance going out into an external reverb that I think the first demo I did of this had no reverb. And I go back and well I go back and forth between like does reverb sound good and yes and it's something that many people are going to use especially for a drone or do I want to do something dry and you're getting the raw sense of what's going on but in this case it, it this is the part where I start fiddling with things. So right now I'm just kind of cranking the speed on all the LFOs to see what kind of sounds we get. 
we get up into the audio rate range. So the crossfade array is three crossfaders, like you said. Um, you said they were normaled in a way, or? Um, the first two crossfades are parallel. Each one handles a pair of inputs. And then the third crossfade is internally connected to the outputs of the first two. So it's a branching structure. Gotcha. Or a funnel. Right. And then you said we are getting some distortion from the MTD. Back loop built in. Wow. So I'll have to get a picture of this, but what you can't see is you can actually see the little tubes in there. He's got um, like a grate in that faceplate. You can see them kind of reacting to the audio, which is super cool. Cranked up the drive, messed around with the bias a little bit. Yeah, I think um, if it's okay with you, we'd like to patch something. Right now we've just got the two, uh, Graham's got two black wavetable VCOs, which is awesome because it's something I know. But I've got those hooked up to a crossfader and I've got the sub from one of them doing the crossfading. Just something I had an idea, but now let's uh, let's use the other side, the other crossfader, and we'll come out of the third one, so we can start doing some really complex things. The problem with uh, using modules I've never used before is <laughs> I don't know what knobs to turn.
We've got two Generate 3s from Uranalog as well. Going into the other, Crossfade. I'm using the core output of one to modulate the Crossfade on the other Crossfader. And then I'm going to take just like an LFO from the Quadrax here. And modulate the third crossfader, which crossfades between those two. And of course, I have to try the audio rate. Maybe let's get some wavetable modulation going with some other LFOs from the Quadrax. modulate the speed of one of these LFOs. So this is just all dry coming out of the crossfade array. Let's, uh, let's add some distortion. So uh, a suggestion from Graham was to use the MT2D triode distortion and because it's got two channels and they're normaled to each other you can run them you know in series or parallel uh, but what I'm doing is running into the first channel out of the first channel into the filter and then running the filter into the second channel so we're kind of distorting before and after the filter and uh, just mess with some knobs for a little while Oh, yeah. 
try maybe some FM modulation of the filter with uh, another sub out from the the other black wave double VCO. Graham's nodding approvingly. <laughs> yeah, that's super, super great, and I love it. I've got the bias cranked on the second channel. Drives are kind of in the middle. got the feedback all the way up on both channels which honestly that adds a lot Loving, loving everything that's happening. Yeah, I can see how this would be. Yeah, there's just so many things I could do with this crossfade array. And then we've also got this um, group fader distributor, which we haven't really talked about, which is, you know, you set um, levels of four channels and then you have a group level that is kind of like the master level. So it's for kind of like setting your levels, but then being able to control them all at once. Like, um, do you want to explain it? Maybe probably a little bit better than I can. Uh, oh, that was a good start. It's, uh, it'd be like having a group VCA in a DAW or on a larger console. Um, instead of mixing your four channels, it keeps them just unified under one group control, which can be either CV controlled or manual controlled. And the other thing I don't think I mentioned to you, actually, when we got started with this, was uh, its inputs are all normal, so you can also put one thing into it and use it to send four different destinations at different levels, but still have a single point of control over all of those depths of modulation. Uh, so like if you had a single LFO that you wanted to go all over the system, you then still have one performance control to control all those depths. Let's utilize that for some LFO distribution. Thank <laughs> you. 
now I've got an LFO going through the group fader distributor, this CGF4. Is that how you would say that? Uh, and I, so I've got one LFO going out to the True Zero FM of one of the Generate 3s, phase of the other one, uh, where it was originally going, where it was controlling the speed of another LFO, and then it's also going to the bias of the first channel on the MT2D. And so now I can either turn that all down with the main knob, or set the depths individually while still being able to just turn them all down with that knob, which, yeah, I can also definitely see how this would be very useful in a performance setup. Control that master knob with CD. It's cool, we're almost getting like weird rhythms here. Right, yeah, he's got uh, an expander as well, which adds mutes and offsets. Uh, mutes to all four channels, offsets to the first two. And there's momentary and latching mute modes. So I'm just kind of playing around with that. I really like modulating that bias, actually. That's really awesome. Oh, I guess I could have done some filter modulation as well. Let's actually use one of the functions of the crossfade array and take a CV out. Uh, the crossfade knob, if you have nothing plugged into the CV input, uh, will output an offset based on the knob's position. And then if you've got CV in there, the CV output gives you that same CV after attenuation and offset. So I'll use one of those CV outs to maybe modulate the filter as well. actually running the distortion in the voltage stopped mode, so let's hear how it sounds at 12 volts. Oh yeah, a lot, a lot cleaner. I'm a 6 volt kind of guy.
So now Graham's showing me that the tubes themselves can kind of self-oscillate. You pretty much crank everything. <laughs> it's a very uh, harsh noise kind of sound, for sure. Uh, but I'm all about harsh noise, so. reverb again <laughs> alright well Graham thank you very much for letting me mess around uh, with your little demo system I hope you've enjoyed this kind of demo patch and uh, definitely check out Sonocurrent on Instagram and you know buy, uh, buy his modules they're really really awesome thanks to my patrons on Patreon shout out to Gray Series david johnson and patrick o'brien if you'd like bonus episodes or to have a say in what i patch on the podcast or if you just want me to say your name you know make you feel special head on over to patreon.com slash null infinity that's n-u-l-l-p-h-i infinity come back next week for more patching